Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome home. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Graham. And this podcast is the home at class you wish you'd been offered. We're two moms who've been real-life best friends for more than two decades. We're trying to create gracious homes that are welcoming, but also functional, all while dealing with real-life schedules, budgets, and children. Stick with us, and we'll share and show what we know, what we've learned, where we've messed up, and how to fix it. For everything we can't make up, we'll bring in the best experts we can find. You're listening to Welcome Home. On today's episode, we're talking with Din Blankenship, co-producer and director of the powerful new documentary, Refuge. We're having a serious conversation on hate, extremism, polarization, and the very simple ways we can take a stand. Plus, why it's Southern hospitality for the win, why Graham and Kirsten may be starting their own country, and the proper pronunciation of Lafayette, aka Lafayette. Hamilton had it wrong. All that and more on this week's episode of Welcome Home. Welcome to my home, Kirsten. See, that's what this is. Welcome to my home. That is completely what today's episode is about because we, (laughs) home is where you seek refuge. And we have the coolest interview um, with Din Blankenship. Can you give a quick background as to how you met, how you came about this? Because it's a little kooky that we're inviting our listeners to listen to something that they can't go out and see. But we've done a good job. You'll, yeah, you'll I have love a one. I have a feeling this movie is going to catch like wildfire. I don't know. By the way, can we call it a movie? I guess it's a, it's a, it's a film. It's a, it's a documentary. I know, but I feel like movies more like, I don't know. Anyhow, it watches like film, a movie. It, it is. It's compelling like a movie. It's it's a great. It totally does. Um, that's to say, okay, this is a random one for sure. How do I? All right. Let me explain. Din is one of those people who I don't even know if you know this, Graham, but she's one of those people who I had never met in real life until about a month ago. But I had heard this name because it's like her friend is friends with my friend. And, you know, we have like 800 secondary connections. So she's one of those. And, and it's just one of those names I've heard all, all my life. Not all my life, but the last 10 years I've been hearing this name. Um, and then we had some friends come and stay with us and they were going to see this movie premiere in New York City. And they said, would you like to come with us? And we said, sure. And it was one, very cool to get to go to a New York City movie premiere. I felt very fancy. Um, and two, it was just such a wonderful film that I came home. Oh, you could barely breathe. Yeah. And you called me. I, I was and- like, Graham, you got to see this. This is a life changing film. It is so excellent. And I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, it's hard to tell if, if it's hitting me harder or if everyone is feeling this way but i just feel like i turn on the television and i feel the energy just wear out of me i feel exhausted i just mm-hmm. i can't watch the news i can't listen to podcasts i just if i hear one more person get up on a screen and say i am right about everything and i hate all the awful people who are wrong about everything mm-hmm. who are not like me like, how have we got? Maybe that's why our podcast is taking off like wildfire because we're all silliness and jokes over here. <laughs> Although, no, wait, I do have to tell you one thing. You guys, you need to listen to Kirsten during this interview because you can see how smart she is um, because it it almost like we raise the bar. You know, when we're silly, we're silly. And Kirsten and I know how to do that. And that's our shtick. And we can talk about all our like kooky little episodes and all the fun things we do. But Kirsten, the 
the pro journalist interviewer came out in you today when talking to Din because Din is beautifully well spoken. And all of a sudden, I heard you know you just you're turned into kind. a. You're very kind. The 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 switch flipped. Oh, you're doing yes, a good job. But so no. here's the thing for everyone listening: we are going to you're going to feel like you've watched the movie the documentary, when you listen to our um, upcoming interview with Din. It's the the overarching story is we have a gentleman, Chris, um, he's in the KKK, and he becomes, he develops a powerful friendship with a Syrian refugee Muslim named Haval. And they both live in Georgia. They live in different parts of Georgia. And you will get to see how their friendship comes together and how they discover their commonalities and um, how they break down the bonds of hate or not the bonds of hate how they break down the the barrier the barrier of hate. hate yeah mm-hmm. i think that sums it up in a nutshell i mean i just i thought it was a really well done film um i told graham she had to see it and and i think the other thing is i left feeling i left that movie in the same way that i turn on the news and i feel drained and i feel like i can't keep listening to people scream at each other and never get anywhere because like there's no end game for that there's no end game for polarization like it doesn't mm-hmm. work you know mm-hmm. i mean other other than brute force right i guess that's how you win if you're mm-hmm. never willing to compromise or see the humanity people who disagree with i guess you just have to take them out right yeah that's exactly know. right you know yeah. I, would, well, I don't know what the end game other than that so it just is exhausting to listen to this um but i left that movie with the exact opposite feeling i left feeling um hopeful challenged energized compelled to find commonality compelled to find commonality and to be better and to challenge myself to not just say like please listen to me if you disagree with me because i'm not a terrible person um but also you're not either and you probably have a lot that i can learn from as well and your perspective is valid and worth hearing and i shouldn't be dehumanizing you just because i disagree with you right And I mean, I think we discussed, we were discussing off air, you know, Mm. there's a part in the documentary if you, when you watch it, which I'm sorry, we, it's not currently public yet. Um, you feel for a Klansman because it discussed, and we discussed this in our interview with Din, um, but that's very difficult to say, um, out loud. And we struggled with, can we even say something like that? I mean, you know, yeah. After we taped it, I'm like, Graham, can we even air that? Or is it just like too controversial? And Graham, and I'm sorry, I just interrupted you, but Graham was like, no, we have to air that because nobody said anything wrong. What we said was we saw the humanity in a, in a person who was really struggling and doing some really horrible things. Like the idea that we can't say that um, is scary, you know? I would agree. Um, so, not that we see his ideology, but we oh, understand 100%. who he is as a human being. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe the, the, the reason and the steps that took him to where he was. Um, and, and I think it's just, I think it's just the concept of, we just have to stop writing people off. Right. We can't write people off, or at least at the end, you know, we have to understand how did you get to where you are? Right. And then, and as long as you know that, then maybe you can make a judgment, but you've got to fully unpack a person or something to understand what it is that's growing this and where some of this hatred is taking root. Right. Or even just the idea that you just said, even though we disagree with the action, like, like that's, that's, I think the real point there is like, is, is saying, you know, let's, let's find the humanity in someone Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're approving of their actions. Like even slightly, you know, does it? Well, I can't, no, it's like, nope, still, still, still bad. Still very, very bad. 
Well, you felt yeah, sad but- for this man. You just, you felt sad for him. Mm-hmm. You felt sad of the trauma he'd had in his life. You felt sad for the things he'd have, he had to see. And you felt sad that, you know, he was so vulnerable that he was picked up by, you know, a group that, you know, there would have been better, had he, had he been in a different place at a different time, maybe a lovely group would have picked him up, but it wasn't the case. He just got picked yes. up by, yeah. you know, darkness. Yeah. Um, and you've got to understand that too. When people are low, they'll look for anyone to come pick them up. Yeah. And I'm glad he resonated with you because, you know, he um he was in the military and he served in Afghanistan in the exact same spot in Afghanistan where my husband served. And mm-hmm. so for me, there was that like personal like, oh, yeah, I, I know that area. You know, I mean, not that I've been there, but you know what I mean? I'm very familiar with that. Um, and right. to know so that that I do feel like was interesting personal connection for me. But to hear that he still struck you as someone who you could find um, a spot in your heart and compassion for. Uh, and as we talk about in the movie, he he also does some really wonderful things at the end of the movie too, right. which is um, which it's is- an upper always anyway. on Welcome Home. It's an no, upper. it is. It's a good. It's a good. It's a it's a it's a intense conversation, but it's I think important. And we talked about this the other day. We just want to we want to use the space to do all sorts of things because it's it's a fun space to have. It's a privilege to have it, and. Apparently, also decluttering is really what you guys want to hear about. The number of people who then tell us afterwards, it's like, I love your decluttering episode. We're like, what? You're like our deepest conversation yet. And it still all comes back to like. I don't even remember doing our decluttering episode. I looked away back at your old crap. Like, that's what the, that's what the people want. That's what the people want. want. That's really what they don't want any of this, like, weepy, sad, like, let me think about others. They just they want, want to like... remind her if your pants have holes in them. I'm sitting in my closet right now looking at pants with holes in them. Throw them away. Yeah. They're if, done. Say if, goodbye. Right. If the fabric is lifeless, toss it. There you go. You've de- it's a decluttering and <laughs> an anti-discrimination episode. <laughs> Declutter your heart of all the hate. Declutter your closet of all the things that don't fit you anymore. It's just toss it fun. out. Toss it out. Take the oh. weight off. All right. You on that note. No, 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 Graham. On that note, you know what you will feel when what? you declutter your house? What? You will feel freedom. Freedom Soaps, our most <laughs> our most wonderful sponsor. We love Freedom Soaps. We have loved Freedom Soaps for a long time. They are, Anne, my dear friend, owns Freedom Soaps. It is a big deal in Birmingham, but for the rest of our audience that is not in Birmingham, she makes these beautiful soaps, whipped shea butter lotion, sugar scrubs, bath salts. She has this beautiful shop in Birmingham. It's like going into an apothecary. You will just, your blood pressure goes down. 60 points when you go in, I guess, or six. I don't even know how blood pressure is measured. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot. By the way, let's just talk about something else too with Birmingham. I feel like I talk about, I sing the praises of Birmingham all the time. And okay. just having you as a friend, I tell people all the time, like Birmingham is the hidden jewel. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere is really the theory on not everything, but when it comes to fine fabrics, Yes, they do. So, it's you would never know. Like, a lot of it comes is, from Birmingham, you Alabama. You can make it in Birmingham. You <laughs> can make it anywhere. No, it's very true. Like you guys have a very discerning palette for like the mm-hmm. finer things. Birmingham. It really is true. And Freedom Super. Soaps are free from all the synthetic icky stuff, um, gross fragrances, parabens, and definitely palm oil. Um, the soaps are all natural, sustainably made. And Anne has come up with a wonderful deal for everyone. All you have to do is go to freedomsoaps.com use the discount code at checkout which is welcome w-e-l-c-o-m-e and you will get 15 percent off 
I'm pretty sure it's all caps. I haven't tried it the other way, but just to be safe, let's do it all caps. Freedomsoaps.com, a discount code welcome. 15%. And the last thing I want to add about Freedom Soaps, amazing logo, great packaging, which let's be honest, if you're giving this as a gift, you're going to be feeling very comfortable and very good about yourself because you're giving them a beautiful packaging. Yeah, it's a quick and dirty little, not dirty, it's a clean, but quick it's a and quick clean. and dirty little gift for people. And for those of you outside Birmingham, I think it's definitely a brand worth knowing about, 100%. I mean, yeah. it's a regular- You can't judge life. a book by its cover, but you can judge a soap by its packaging, and this packaging is A-okay. Absolutely. So All right. Thank you, thank Freedom, you Freedom Soaps. Soaps. Okay. Graham, shall we, without further ado, you love to say- Without, without further ado- Loves Din Blankenship, who ironically, speaking of weight, speaking of other great things, Din is from Birmingham. Din, like Freedom Soaps from Birmingham, telling you, you can make it here. <laughs> you guys, oh, we should do a retreat, Graham. I feel like there are people who listen to the show who have never been to the, what is it again? The Steel City? That will never happen. Um, all right. You Steel know, I'm very City? private. Is that what you guys are called? <laughs> the Iron City. Oh, see, <laughs> the Iron City. It sounds like a... <laughs> It sounds like it's going to be like in the Wizard of Oz. The Iron City. You're crazy. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, hopefully we have brightened all of your days and let's dive Put into your it. your heels and yell freedom soaps. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> you're crazy. Oh, my gosh. You're legit crazy. We've yeah. been podcasting for like three hours this morning. Yeah, so and I've had like four cups of coffee. I know. And I've been sitting in the same position. I mean, it's going to take me a while to get up from the floor. All right. Din Blankenship, welcome to Welcome Home. All right. Welcome to Welcome Home, Din Blankenship. So good to have you here. Thanks for having me. This is such a treat. Okay. So you are the producer and director, co-producer and co-director of this wonderful movie. Um, and we want to give credit to your co-producer and co-director as well. Um, who's not here today, but if you want to give her a little shout out. Yeah, for sure. Erin Bernhardt. She's a dream. You'll meet her one day. <laughs> <laughs> I have met her, right? Oh yeah, you did. Of course. And I met her because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm the lucky duck. You got to go to the premiere. So yeah. Uh, all right. So as we kind of talked about in the intro, I saw this movie, I came home, just gobsmacked, um, just took over my thoughts for days. I'm like, Graham, I got to tell you about this movie that I saw. And we talked about it and then we said we got ever on the podcast. So for those of us who are not, who haven't seen it, which is most people, um, first of all, congratulations on your success. Tell us when most people will be able to see the movie. And then if we can just sort of give people an overview so they know what we're talking about, because it's we're looking at it as a great jumping off point to have some really good, serious conversations. But let's let's fill people in on what they missed. What's going on with this film? Yeah, for sure. So um, the film, it's a documentary movie. So we um, followed a leader in a white nationalist hate group, Chris Buckley, um, who really, really hated Muslims in particular. And a lot of that was just kind of the collective trauma of 9-11 and then um, years of military service. And the film follows him overcome his hate through his relationship with a Muslim refugee and his community of refugees in Clarkston, Georgia. Um, so we are just kind of beginning the festival season with the film. And nowadays, you know, this is one of the silver linings if we can find them of COVID, but nowadays film festivals are both hybrid in-person and virtual. And so 
Um, whereas before you might not have had the chance to screen films that are participating in film festivals, now you can. And so as we, um, you know, participate in film festivals throughout the winter and spring, there will be chances to um, watch it online. So I'll be sure to let you all know those opportunities as, as they arrive. And then we're in the beginning of distribution talks. So hopefully it'll be available on, you know, a broader streaming platform, um, you know, within the next six months. So fingers crossed. So we're going to wet your appetite for all of our listeners. So we got to go. Quick, for, for those of us not, for those who not follow us on Instagram, follow us because these are the good tips we'll give you like when the show is, when the film is available to see. So just a little shout out. That's how we're going to communicate with you about this because y'all should see it. But the importance as you teed up, Kirsten, there's a larger story here. Um, and I think you tell it beautifully. So Din, do you mind kind of just leading us down the narrative of the documentary and just an overview? Yeah, um, maybe I'll start with why, why we started making this documentary. So um, Aaron and I, we both went to UVA, as did our executive producer, Katie Couric. And in 2017, um, watching the riots happen there and seeing such hatred and racism on display in this place that in so many ways shaped the women that we are, it felt like this call to action. And I think we felt like it was really clear that our country was hurting. You know, we're more polarized than we have been in my lifetime. And this extremism was on the rise. And so we wanted to see if we could find a story that would help us understand a little bit more about the roots of hate and extremism and and understand why this ideology was resonating with so many Americans. Um, and also find a story that could provide us with some hope and healing in a time when we so desperately need it. So um, when we first started, you know, um, creating this documentary, we were actually focused on this community of Clarkson, Georgia. Um, and Clarkson is this really special place. It's a town right on the outskirts of Atlanta. Um, it has welcomed refugees from all over the world um, since the Vietnam War. So any global conflict that has produced refugees um, since the 80s has representation in Clarkson. So it's this little one square mile right next to Decatur in Atlanta. And it's welcomed refugees for 40 years. It's a community of 13,000 people from 40 countries speaking 60 languages, all in this small town. And so we felt like with this goal of trying to understand um, extremism and the, the dangers of polarization and tribalism, here's this community that has been the targets and survivors of systemic oppression and extremism. And, you know, when we looked at the experiences that the community of refugees in Clarkston have lived through, you know, that tells us what happens when tribalism consumes a country and when extremism goes unchecked. And here's this community that is working. You know, it's a community of people who are not only very different from one another, but for many people, they are um, former enemies in their home countries. You know, so you think about any war is going to produce conflict or refugees on both sides. So in Clarkston, you have Sunni and Shina, Shia Muslims and Arabic and Kurdish Muslims and people from Eritrea and Ethiopia all living together. And so we felt like 
something is working in this community. And we felt like it was a community whose story needed to be told. And the last thing we expected was one of our main characters, a Muslim refugee to tell us, hey, I've been connected to this guy. He's in the KKK. He hates Muslims and I'm going to go meet him. Do you want to bring your cameras? We're like, yes. Okay, um, wait, so wait, wait. I don't, get, I don't want to get ahead. I don't want to get ahead to that part yet because that part is okay, awesome. There's a lot. No, 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 no. You're great, but there's lots to dig in there. But let's stick with Clarkston for one second because what what are your takeaways from that? Because you ask a fascinating question. Graham and I sometimes we used to have this joke. We haven't talked about this really, Graham, since our big hiatus. But Graham and I used to say we want to run our own country and we want to call it Experimentville. And in Experimentville, <laughs> we'll just try things and like if it doesn't work, we tried and we're not going to villainize the people we agree disagree with and we're not it's just gonna experimentville and i feel like clarkston is sort of the closest i've seen in real life to experimentville what is it about that place where people who were formerly you know huge enemies to the point where they had to to flee from their country seem to be thriving not just surviving but really thriving yeah i you know it's so interesting the whole time we've been um making this documentary and Erin has been volunteering and working in Clarkston for 10 years. So she's really been entrenched in the community in a really powerful way. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, I think we're always asking like, what is the secret sauce here? You know? And I think a lot of it is that um, this is a community for the refugee community in Clarkston. Um, they have lived through what happens when we don't check um hate both within our own hearts and within our communities. And I think that this is a community that more than most people understands the risk of um, valuing your belief system, political ideology, your likeness to another person over our shared humanity, you know, like this group of people more than most understands the cost of that. And so I think there's a really um, powerful perspective of, of, of just acceptance and welcome and, and valuing another person as a, as a full human with fears and hopes and people that they love and people that they've lost over you know, who did you vote for or what God do you pray to, you know? Um, but, and that's not to say that Clarkson doesn't have its own, you know, conflicts because of course it does. Um, but there is a beautiful um, prioritization of values there that I think uh, is inspiring to me. And, and um, I hope you will also be inspired when you, when you meet the community in our film. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that's what blew my mind was I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, I could picture something like this, this town, maybe this seems to me like a Northeast 
concept, right? Or maybe even something in mm-hmm. California where you'd have, okay, let's make a town where all refugees are welcome. It sounds so lovely and great. And the visuals I think really help. And I think um, that's why I want to explain as much as possible. When you when you see in the documentary, just the imagery of Clarkston, I mean, it's got signs saying, you know, Eritrea, you know, 4,692 miles this way, you know, and they've got Lebanon, you know, 7,000 miles this direction. Um, and then you've got just the outfits and the, that people are wearing from their, you know, home nations. And then you've got just the, um, what I, Ooh, it was, a, it was what the, the supermarket, the yeah, the supermarket, this sweet shop owner, you know, who's now carrying different foods from, like you said, 50 different nations, you know, the type of sauces that people like to have. And, you know, and I think he started as a guy who used to carry, you know, peanut butter and white rice in his, you know, kind of gas station. It seemed that way from the documentary mm-hmm. and that he's changed. And my thought was, okay, well, this is fascinating. I had never heard about this very unique town, but at the same point in time, in relation to Chris, as who we meet in the documentary, it almost seemed like a really good town for some Klansmen to go in and pick on, right? You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. usually you would think it would take a very long drive or, you know, there'd be a great barrier to entry. But unfortunately, these people are surrounded by pockets of potentially unacceptance Mm -hmm. within our own nation. Um, And that duality as well, right? They came over here to seek refuge. They are refugees. And yet you had... um, you know, you've got some people who are actively looking to pick on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I find it so, and, and I'll say I'm Southern. I'm from Birmingham. I live in Atlanta. Um, and the fact that Clarkston exists in Georgia, I think is so awesome because, well, A, it's been so interesting hearing, you know, we have executive producers who are in New York and LA and just their shock of like, I can't believe a that this place exists and b that it exists in the American South. And one thing that's been really neat and beautiful is there really is this kind of outflow of, you know, I'm using air quotes, but southern hospitality, you know, you see that in the way that um the community of Clarkston, the American born and the city of Atlanta has embraced and welcomed this community. And Haval has an amazing story of he and his family. um, So Haval is one of the main characters in the film and he and his family had to flee Syria when he was in middle school. They lived in refugee camps in Germany for a while. They were told that they had been invited to be resettled in America. And a few days later, 9-11 happened. So they're thinking there's no way that the United States is going to invite this family of Muslims, two of their sons are, you know, look like the hijackers. And they got a call and said, you know, you're still welcome. So they landed in Clarkston two weeks after 9-11. And if y'all, I mean, we all remember that time, but it was a scary time. And, And I think specifically for Muslim people, there was a fear of backlash, you know? And so Haval and his family didn't leave it their house for several weeks. And one day this group of white people came and knocked on the door and they're terrified thinking we're going to be deported. This is the CIA. They're telling us to go back. And it was this church saying, we heard that you just moved here. Welcome. And they brought them food. And this church ended up hiring Haval's mom to work in their daycare. And it was just such a beautiful example of the church being the church and also that, you know, that these, you know, white Southern Christians 
showed up with welcome and embrace is so beautiful to me. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many moments in that, in that, um, in the entire film where you're just like, okay, this is the best of humanity on display. Um, next to, next to the worst. So one of the, you know, it's just so good. Um, okay. okay, So so, Haval grows up and becomes a doctor, but uh, yeah. And, and then starts this relationship with Chris, who I think what's interesting in this, and this is something I've never seen before is you feel Chris is our clans member. Um, you do a very interesting job in this documentary. You feel for Chris very much at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't hate this guy. That's um, the first thing I say when I describe this movie to people. I'm like, it is so good because by the end of the movie, you feel connected to this clansman, which the amount of compassion that you have as a storyteller and curiosity as a storyteller that you can show us parts of him that can make that kind of a connection. I mean, because that's hard to say. Like, as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm seeing my pulse, you know, quick and like, oh, can you say that? Can you say that? Because you that's can't not, say something like that out loud. You cannot you, say something. Because I mean, that's not someone you, we're supposed to connect with. It's well, not. And you're not supporting his ideology in 100%. any respect. 100%. All, but all of the, the disclaimers. That's But said, then when you break him down as a human and you see the components you, that forced, not forced him, the compute, the components that led him and drove him to the point where he was looking for that same acceptance um, or you, he, he breaks down how he got to where he was, you, you do see how many people could get to or I mean. Right. And spoiler alert, you know, he does redeem himself, which also is what allows, allows us as the audience to make that connection. It's not like we leave him stuck in his, in his Hatred state. And he, anger. He, he, he is a redemptive figure. He sees the error of his ways and dramatically changes his life and uses what he's been through for good. I don't want to ruin the ending here, but he does use what he's, um, what okay, but describe that, Din. Din, Din yeah. is more. <laughs> Din's here. Din's here. No, but I, I'm just saying, that it, it's incredible what you resident did. extremist expert. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you. I mean, that's so encouraging hearing that from you guys because, um, you know, it was such a, a journey for us also. Just before I met Chris, I had no understanding for what leads a person into extremist ideologies in all of its forms. Um, You know, what kind of life experience has a person had? What kind of pain and trauma have they endured that, that the narrative of victimhood becomes appealing? And I think, you know, one thing I've come to understand is that all forms of extremism, whether you're talking about jihadists or white nationalists, you know, and everything in between, it's, it's a narrative of victimhood. You switch the us's and the them's and the narrative is the mm-hmm. same. We are being oppressed, you are the oppressor. And so with somebody like Chris, um, when you look at the trauma, the real trauma that he has endured throughout his life um, and um, the purpose, community and identity that he had lost and was seeking and found it in the KKK. And so I think something that I have come to understand is that when a person falls into um, or accepts, I don't want to, you know, imply that they don't have agency in their decisions, but when a, a person accepts radical ideologies, when they first come in contact with those ideologies, typically they're not actually seeking out those hateful ideologies. They're seeking out 
a sense of purpose that they have lost, a sense of community and identity that they have lost. And so, right. and he was a military when, guy, and he said that he he liked the order and the structure. The the clan had structure and order to it. it was one of his points. Yeah, well, and also, also the like, validation. I feel like it's also validation of their pain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's someone saying, "Yep, your pain's justifiable." Justifiable. And by the way, I've got the cause and we've got the blame, you know, it's, it's, it's validating it. And then it's channeling it into something where they feel like they have some sort of power and it's fascinating. It's horrifying how it, it, you, you see how this pattern could, you know, show itself. Totally. And, but I think what's so important too, is like, you know, the same shock that you felt of like, wow, I'm like relating to this guy. (laughs) I like understand his position, I guess, or how he came to believe what he mm-hmm. believed. You know, Chris is not the outlier. Chris is very much in, in terms of extremism. Um, Chris is very much uh, not a pattern, but um, uh, when you think about like what you would have gone through in life to, to where you'd be in a position where you accept that narrative, you're not in like a healthy place, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's this resistance to try to understand and like excavate the human behind hateful masks because it seems like we are absolving a person from being held accountable for being involved with extremism. And while obviously accountability is an essential part of overcoming hate, um, I think the goal of understanding the roots of hate are not to excuse it, but rather to understand it and treat it and prevent it from growing. And so Mm -hmm. now that we have a better sense for like the humans and the humanity and the fears and the trauma and the pain and the loneliness that people are living in and living with that, that leads them to a place where they can accept hateful ideologies. We now have a sense for like, okay, how can we, you know, excavate that person which is what you see throughout the film with Chris with his relationship with his wife with his relationship with Arno who is the first person who kind of helps him lead the clan and ultimately with his relationship with Aval it's this you know trying to find the humans behind the the mask of hate you know so Wait, did, what, what you said there, I got to dig into that because that I feel like maybe as you said that I'm like, yep, that's why this movie connected with me so much. I feel like our culture right now is in this spot. Like I just said, I felt like my pulse quickening to say by the end of the movie, you feel for this guy because it's sort of like if you say I see the humanity in this person, um, there's this terrifying risk that someone will say you can see their humanity you are a monster too. You're done. You know, and I feel like we're just all on eggshells. Um, well, what was the term you used, Kirsten? You were talking about people near, you were talking about, we were preparing for this yesterday and we were discussing how we feel this in the way of you get written off based upon your current response to COVID. You know, you fall mm-hmm. on one side of the fence or the other to it. And what was the term that you were talking about, Kirsten, that people will use? Oh, you're like, nothing or you're Oh, nothing. oh, what I said. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're a garbage person. You're just, and Graham hadn't heard that phrase before. And I feel like I hear that phrase a lot, which is like, it would be very easy to say, and, and, 
let's be honest, kind of justifiable to look at this guy, look at Chris, be like, you've got a KKK tattoo on your stomach and you're bringing your sweet, innocent little boy to KKK rallies. You're a garbage person. I'm done with you because it's a vile act. It's a vile way to live. And it's as humans, we should feel a certain level of disgust towards that. That said, if I choose to say, I write you off your garbage person and not see them as a human, despite how despicable their actions are without excusing it, there's no hope of redemption. There's no hope of growth. And what is so special about your your film is that you show when someone doesn't do that, because Zaval had every right to do that. He'd been through mm-hmm. a lot, but instead he chose to say, I'm going to look for the humanity in this person. And gosh, the fruit of that, the redemptive fruit that came from that. Um, and I apologize that it sounds like I'm using almost like biblical language, but I think like at the heart of, you know, real true religion is love. And you know that is love is 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 not giving up on someone and looking for the best in them and inspiring them to be better and now a quick break from our sponsor yeah we have a really cool sponsor as usual we love puzzles we love things that are quiet and peaceful and we've partnered with unidragon puzzles um if you're looking for just kind of a wonderful, high quality gadget free activity that's kind of restful and trains your brain as well. A Unidragon puzzle might be right up your alley. Not only are they relaxing and challenging, but they have huge benefits. They're just gorgeous. They go beyond the enjoyment of just playing a game. Uh, You'll sleep better, prevent burnout, all while learning analytical skills you can use in your daily life. Now, what is a Unidragon puzzle? They're made of wood and they have these these really nice intense, um, they have in these intensely carved little pieces that are in them. So it kind of is a neat little brain game for you. Um, we love them. If you've ever seen the very, very fancy high-end puzzles, um, Unidragon is a very, very, very affordable price point and um, nothing like the super fancy wooden puzzles. So check out Unidragon puzzles. You'll get 10% off with the discount code at home. So you go to Unidragon, that's U-N-I, D-R-A-G-O-N.com. So unidragon, unidragon.com and just put in the code home and you'll get 10% off. And the puzzles are like 29-ish dollars around that kind of range. They're very reasonable price. And I just want to pop in because I had a really stressful week last week and I put out a puzzle and I have to say, uh, you know, I've heard people doing the adult coloring books. Like this was fun because it was that same sort of zone out, but still zone in. And my whole family was involved. I loved it. I'm like a puzzle person. It was fun. Or it was you did your fun. sweet little Golden Girls puzzle, but thank you. No, because I didn't know about the Unidragon. I didn't have the discount code yet. Now I'm going to change. I've seen the error of my ways. I'm on the Unidragon bandwagon. Thanks, Unidragon. Din, describe mm-hmm. the relationship. What happened between Haval and Chris? What? How did that come together? Because people have not had the opportunity to see this. Yeah, so we, um, and I love everything that you were just saying, that just resonates so deeply with me as well. Um, So Haval, when we were filming this was um, 2018. So pre-pandemic, Trump presidency, you know, polarization, it was very much at a high. And also um, Islamophobia was was a little bit more present than I think we feel right now because the pandemic, you know, shifted things a little bit. But um, so Haval was getting more involved in trying to be a voice of anti-Islamophobia. I think he felt like if you knew me, you wouldn't fear me. And so he was becoming more um, 
of a, a leader in trying to help people understand um, not necessarily the Islamic faith, but just trying to be a little bit more public with himself um, as a way for the average American to have a better sense for like, it's the thing that he always says is it's hard, it's hard to hate what you know. Mm. And so Haval had been speaking at this conference on Islamophobia and spoke on a panel with this guy, Arno, who you will meet in the film. And Arno was so moved by Haval and Arno had been working with Chris Buckley, who, you know, obviously our main character. And he felt like he'd gotten him to this certain point of overcoming his hate, but he really needed Chris to meet and, and get to know a Muslim. And so he said, you know, Haval, I've got this guy, he's struggling. And I think you're the perfect guy to meet him and just, just meet him. And so Haval and Chris had been texting. I think they'd had a phone call or two. And that's when Haval said, Hey, I'm going to go meet this guy, Chris. Um, you know, we've texted a bit. He said, it's okay. If you bring your cameras, do you want to come? And I'll also say that that day, um, Aaron was filming that shoot and my partner, Aaron is Jewish. Our director of photography. So our main videographer is black and Haval is this Muslim guy, you know, driving to rural, North Georgia to this guy who just left the KKK. And so I remember that day just being like, is this a terrible idea? Um, and mm. as you see in the film, it ended up just being this like amazing, beautiful and transformative experience for Haval, for Chris, for all of us too. Can you describe that experience a little more? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So Haval um, drives to Chris's house, which is about two hours away. So Clarkston is right by Atlanta and Lafayette, um, which is pronounced a little bit, it's different than Lafayette. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Louisiana. I know I always are, yeah. anyway, it's Lafayette, Georgia. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he drives up to Lafayette, which is um, North Georgia. It's, it's beautiful. It's in the mountains. Um, it's Northwest Georgia, right? Yeah, near Chattanooga. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually not far at all from Lookout Mountain. Um, and he just shows up and they hang out. You know, they said it was in the summer, so it was very hot. So they were sitting outside, um, you know, just getting to know each other. They realized they had this connection with 9-11. You know, Haval's family came here right after 9-11. Chris was deployed in the military right after 9-11. Um, and Chris shows Haval around his community. and you know, that was the first time Haval had seen American rural poverty and his reaction leaving that first encounter with Chris was so beautiful because he's saying, um, you know, I understand now why people like Chris hate people like me. They're, he's struggling, you know, he can't make ends meet for his families living in poverty you know, and I come here and I, I have resources, you know, I had access to an education and, um, and so this, this beautiful sense of understanding and empathy that Haval left that, that encounter with Chris. And even they have this moment where Chris shows Haval this community center that helped Chris when he was struggling to get on his feet. Um, and now Chris was volunteering at this community center and, they had this moment where they connected of Haval's experience living in a refugee camp with Chris's experience being homeless and living in a motel. And it was just this beautiful, like they had this common experience of being displaced, you know, but Chris's experience was within his own country and Haval's was not. 
Um, but it was just, yeah, this beautiful experience of these two men coming to understand and relate to each other in ways that they never would have imagined. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the takeaways because we don't have too much time and this is such a huge topic. Um, we could do this forever, but you're, you're a real person. You had this incredible experience of meeting these people. Is she? Oh. Is she? <laughs> wait, wait, actually one more thing. I just want to go back for a second. When you talked about the Lafayette versus Lafayette and we all kind of chuckled a little bit. By the way, if this is sounding like, oh, a really heavy movie, you guys do a great job of interjecting humor in these just really smart ways that just lighten the mood too and make it just a very pleasant experience. Yeah, it's a very well, pleasant watch. It's, it's not like a watch. Wall. It's not a huge it's not, I mean, not that everything has to be light, but at the same point in time, it you does do a, a great nice job cadence. With that. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> back you. to my back to my question. The surprising, unexpected takeaways from this. I mean, you're a real person. How do you see someone who's overcome such a dramatic dramatic um you know extremist culture and hate and all of these things you were exposed to and then kind of go back to the real world where it's like all microaggressions and it's all like kind of more subtle but you can good word kirsten so you don't you know what i mean and how do you interact then like on a daily basis how has this changed you in the way you engage with politics and engage with people who disagree or you know, just, just what, what kind of things have changed in your life from being a part of this film? Yeah. Gosh, so many things. Um, you know, I think one thing that is so clear is like, you know, politics is this really polarized and, um, just divisive arena right now. But when you think about politics are shaping policies, which are shaping people. And so, this is a, a, a film where we really intentionally stayed in the people realm to give us all a better sense for like, okay, we don't have to talk about those policies or the politics or the politicians that are shaping this world that you encounter in the film. But let's look at like the people whose lives are impacted by those things. Um, and then I think another thing for me personally that I, I, I check myself on daily, especially given you, you mentioned earlier, this kind of polarizing reaction to COVID, I think is a really good example. I think about the important work that Chris and Haval did. So Chris's work was, <clears throat> I have been running from pain and trying to numb it with drugs and with hate. And I need to stop and I need to face that pain and feel it and look at it and name it and process it and move through it. And that's hard. It's hard work to say, like, I feel worthless. I feel crippled by loneliness. I feel whatever it is, all those things that we all feel that tell us we are not good enough to actually pause and look inward and face those narratives that we tell ourselves and do the work in our own hearts, I think is so important. And so that work that Chris does, I think is so powerful. And it's something I think about regularly. And then also the work that Haval does of saying, okay, I've got this guy that actively hates me and opposes me. And the easier thing for Haval to have done would be either walk away, like I'm not getting involved in that, or completely dehumanize Chris and throw all the ideologies. This is why you're wrong. This is why what you believe 
is wrong. And instead, Haval says, hey, like, hey, here I am. Get to know me. I'd love to get to know you. And listened. You know, Haval talks about um, so much of what we need to be doing right now is listening to things that we don't want to hear, you know? And I think myself included, it's so much easier to just live in the bubble of our camp that reaffirms what we already think, you know, and we're seeing the, the harmful outcomes of that, of the algorithms that reinforce what we think of the only watching news that kind of aligns with us politically, which is crazy that our news is even politically aligned, but um, journalism majors, that is very distressing to us. (laughs) That is a real problem, but keep going. Um, But so I think Katie Kirk agrees. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we, um, but I think there's so much talk about we gloss over that fact that Katie Kirk's the executive producer of this. I know that's like a dream. Whenever I type in Katie in my email and Kirk is the first one that pops up, I'm like, pinch me. <laughs> How did this happen? You have to be careful. It's like every now and then we'll get a cool person's cell phone and we're like, uh, we could abuse that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just um, committing to like, hearing and listening to opinions that differ from ours. I think that feels like scary and weighty right now. And I think if we all really commit to um, listening to voices and opinions that differ from ours and also accepting that like the same things that drive me, whether that's fear for my well-being and the well-being of my family or, um, you know, the convictions that I hold, knowing that those same motivations are driving somebody who you might really disagree with and you've come to different conclusions. But I think we can connect on those human emotions of these lived experience of like, this is a scary time. This is the first pandemic we have all lived through, you know, and having grace for ourselves and for others who are making different choices, you know. Um, yeah. And that was so beautifully said. Thank you so much. I know we probably have to wrap up Kirsten, but I think it just is a takeaway from what you said. It would be a good idea maybe for all of our listeners, because you're probably thinking, well, we've just spent an hour describing a movie that you don't have access to see. Um, but we just thought that the takeaways and the messages were so powerful, um, that this needed to be shared. And I know you will be able to see the movie soon because it's going to be a blockbuster smash hit that will be all over (laughs) the first Um, documentary of its kind. (laughs) It really, it really is extraordinary. wonderful it's everyone if you if you if this crosses your radar go see it go see it go see it and and be open to it and learn from it and i just Dan, i'm going to leave our listeners with what you said just about being willing to find the humanity and and open yourself up to listening to people who um are just coming out well that's my challenge to our audience is take take one issue there's definitely an issue in everyone's life figure out what that is where you just think oh the people on the other side are yahoos right and like try to understand fully on that one issue what makes them a yahoo in your mind mm-hmm. you know or like right offable or not worth or like, a, garbage to, a garbage person try to take whatever it is that you think oh they believe this i think they're just like on the other side and just like get to the bottom of that issue of don't don't even form a judgment on it just figure it out like figure out the answer of where they're coming from and why they're coming from that angle um mm-hmm. And then hate them. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never. <End of> podcast. <laughs> uh, welcome home. <laughs> oh, Dan, thank you so much. And thank you for just a really wonderful film with a message that is so 
poignant right now and just so important. And I hope, I'm, I mean, I'm gonna, I can't wait till I can make my kids watch this because it's just so good. Um, all right, Jen, thank you so much for your time. We love the film. Everybody run out and see Refuge. It's awesome. And that's all we have from Kirsten and Graham. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Welcome Home. If you're interested in hearing more from the iconic best friend duo, please subscribe, tell your friends about us, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for giveaways and other exciting updates. Until next time, welcome home.